Hello everyone and welcome back to Sensational, the special educational needs podcast brought to you by Withersack Group. My name is Molly, the Marketing and Events Officer for the group, and today I'm delighted to be joined by one of our new head teachers, Wendy Yeo, who is heading up our Newcastle Fell School in Bristol, and also our friend and a bit of a regular speaker for us, uh, it's Aaron Hutchinson from the ADHD Foundation Neurodiversity Charity. So today we're here to discuss top tips for helping your child settle into a new school. Even as parents, we know how daunting it can be starting a new job, and it's just the same experiences and emotions for our young people with starting a new school, which can actually sometimes be even more heightened. So without further ado, let's get started with today's podcast. Wendy, could you start by talking us through your experience in education and with helping children start in a new school? Um, yeah, hi, nice, nice to join you today, Molly. Um, so I've been working in Bristol now for nearly 30 years in various roles in teaching and um, I've helped children make the transition from key stage one into key stage two, um, moving into a new school in year three when I worked in mainstream. And I've also welcomed a lot of new children into specialist settings, both in pupil referral units in Bristol um, and in special schools. So some some children have come to us into specialist settings straight from mainstream. Some children have been out of school for a while and some children might have been in alternative provision. And I think what we've learned really is that um, while schools might have its standard procedures, most children need quite a, a unique look at what their needs are and how they're feeling about making that transition so that we can personalise it and get it right for them. Um, so, you know, every child is different and some might embrace the move. Um, some some may be quite anxious and find it more challenging and need a more individualised transition process. So what can also be hard for children is having two conflicting emotions at once. So they've got the excitement of something new, but alongside that, the fear of the unknown um, and the loss that they might be feeling in relation to the relationships that they've had elsewhere before the move. Uh, we know that the transition to secondary school can be very daunting and that's helped usually by multiple visits in the summer terms. Mm-hmm. And as adults, we can all relate to these feelings of anxiety because it's something that we do go through regularly ourselves, uh, whether that's starting a new job, moving house or even going on holiday where initially you're in an unfamiliar environment. Yeah. And so even doing simple tasks can have an extra challenge. And it's really about getting the balance between helping the child feel positive about the move, but giving some attention to their worries, keeping them manageable and not letting them seem overwhelming. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for that. And Aaron, uh, a lot of our young people who start our schools have actually been out of education for quite a long time. With this in mind, is there a way that we can introduce sort of a back to school routine? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's definitely something that's important to consider. I think it's all about small steps and I think mm. starting um, as early as possible as long as they are small steps can help so for one example we might be thinking about um, wake up and go into bedtimes and they might mm. have changed while they've been out of school and trying to get us back into that routine um, but as early as possible and using those small steps so it might be that they may be going to bed a couple of hours later than we would like them to be when they're in school and um, so if we can well in advance weeks in advance we might kind of start bringing that bedtime forward a little bit by say 15 minutes 10 minutes and kind of gradually bringing it down to where we want rather than keeping up with that late bedtime and then expecting them to go um you know the day they start new school suddenly kind of they're going to bed two hours earlier of course it's worth bearing in mind 
that lots of children um, who are neurodivergent, especially lots of children with ADHD, will have challenges um, with sleep. And there's lots of things that we can try and do to support that as well. Um, but generally speaking, in terms of getting back into that routine, bringing it back small steps, starting as early as possible. We might be looking at things like um, screen time as part of sleep as well and trying to gradually, again, reduce that screen time during the day and finding alternatives um, rather than just saying, no, you're not allowed on the iPad now, you're not allowed on the phone now. What can we put in place instead that they're going to enjoy so they still kind of get that um, excitement and that dopamine hit and that sense of reward? Um, and generally speaking, it's recommended that and I know this is a lot easier said than done, but an hour before bed, we shouldn't really be on screens. And I think we're guilty mm. of this as adults as well. We'll be sat in bed kind of flicking through emails and stuff like that. Yeah. But actually the blue light exposure there um, is thought to actually impact your, your sleep and actually your ability to maybe drift off and fall asleep or even the quality of your sleep if you do still manage to fall asleep. So if we can try and have in the evening start to introduce more calming activities so we're ready to kind of go to bed on time and I think consistency really yeah. helps with sleep as well because what we're essentially doing is we're trying to train our brain and our body to recognize that when we do this this and this we're then ready to go to sleep and it doesn't work straight away but the more we're consistent with things and the more we're trying with things we're trying to essentially um, retrain our brain to recognize that these are the things that are telling us to switch off so when we are kind of reading a story when we are maybe um, listening to some calming music or whatever the routine is for that particular child, the more we can keep up with that consistently and not expecting it to work straight away and gradually looking for the results over time. So that's why I think the kind of earlier we can start with these small steps, the better. And um, so it might be, as I say, kind of 15 minutes earlier each day or each week kind of leading up to it. And um, it might be kind of looking at bringing reading back into the mix in terms of if that's something that's maybe drifted off while they've been out of school and um, bringing that back into the mix in terms of part of the, the nighttime routine, just another way of moving away from screens. So we might be reading with them, allowing them to choose what books they want to read as well to give them that sense of ownership um, and that kind of, um, that sort of sense of reward and dopamine. And yeah. the, it's not that they're just being told to do something. They can choose the books that they want us to read. We might ask them to read. We might read with them and a combination of those things. And then also I think considering um as, as Wendy had mentioned, the kind of anxiety around returning to school and how that might impact the kind of routine, particularly around going to bed and taking time to maybe talking through concerns that they've got about going back to school and validating those feelings and talking through those things, maybe role-playing some situations. If they've got concerns about um, certain social interactions, we might actually practice role-playing some of those things. And when we're talking to new people, how are we going to introduce ourselves? And not that we're putting pressure on them to kind of follow a script, but if they are anxious about it, sometimes just having that opportunity to actually play it out can help to reduce some of that um, maybe catastrophizing where they might think that the worst thing is going to happen all the time and just giving them those opportunities to play it out. So I think, yeah, generally speaking, lots of little things and as early as possible and gradual as possible, um, the better. Yeah, it's funny we're talking about this because last night I was speaking to my colleague this morning and I'm just so guilty of laying on my phone scrolling. I was even adding stuff to my to-do list for today and thinking, Molly, just go to sleep. <laughs> I know, um, I said, it's... I, work with kids all the time and tell them all this stuff and I know full yeah, well that I'm sat at home doing the opposite the night before and things like that but yeah. um, we know that it works it's one thing um knowing that it works it's another thing actually trying to yeah kind of exactly. do that. I think with screen time as well you know it's it's very easy for me to sit here and say 
reduce the screen time but then when we've got kids who love being on it and use it as a bit of an escapism it's much harder to do that one thing you can do is um and again much easier said than done particularly on ipads and things you can set in the settings you can set timers for certain apps and things like that so it might be that we've got um certain games that they go on or something but you can actually set a limit for how long they can be on that in a day and you can set a password so that when they've kind of reached that limit that they actually can't go back on it until the next day now of course we might get negative reactions as a result of that and it's not going to be for everyone but something to try anyway in terms of trying to reduce some of that screen time yeah brilliant and do you have anything to add to that wendy well, just picking up on what Aaron's saying, I mean, I really like the idea of getting back into the habit of, you know, reading um, and also being of a much older generation than you two. I, I do remember the days when the only option at bedtime was to read. There were no yeah. screens. <laughs> and, you know, that is a great way to help you fall asleep. You often don't get to the bottom of the page, yeah. do you, before know, your eyes yeah. are shut? But, um, and I think, you know, if, if a child's not ready for reading, if they've got out of the habit, then, you know, reading to them is a great start as well. And just checking comprehension as you go along, getting them ready to be you know, for going back to school to be thinking about what they're reading as well as just kind of hearing the words. Um, and I think in terms of getting back ready for the classroom, if you're out and about, um, you know, just do a lot of wondering and questioning about the things that they're seeing around the world, because that's what a great learner always does. They kind of accept that they don't know everything yet yeah. and they'll ask questions, you know, about everyday things. Um, and you know, I like the idea of role play, especially if it's encouraging children to be more assertive and confident at getting their needs met in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think children can be a bit shy sometimes about even things like going up to somebody in a shop at the counter and asking for something. If you can just be encouraging your children to do some of those things that you might do yourself when you're out and about, but it might yeah. be good for them to have a little practice at you know speaking out, out really zone. speaking out yeah 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 definitely that's a good point um and wendy so we, we often hear from parents that starting back at school can disrupt sleep patterns as we've, we've briefly discussed from your experience as a head teacher in what ways have you found sleep to have had a direct impact on a young person's behavior well obviously it can impact significantly where a child is so tired that they're falling asleep at school and then perhaps taking quite a bit of time to wake up fully and re-engage with the lessons and it can lead to a lot of missed learning if that happens regularly if the child is managing to stay awake in school but is very tired children can be more irritable which affects their relationships Um, it can affect their concentration their working memory can lead to them sometimes leaving classrooms because the tasks just become harder for them to complete Um, And when we learn new things, these are transferred into our long term memory during sleep. Um, We kind of rehearse what we've learned that day during during our sleep periods. So children who are not sleeping enough may have trouble remembering things that they've learned in previous lessons. Um, It can be harder for them to make decisions when they're tired. And so the chances of risk taking behavior is increased. And, you know, if if a child's hasn't been attending school full time for any length of time then starting back may lead to them feeling tired but this should hopefully be a positive um, because all that daytime activity should help them achieve a good night's sleep more easily 
And we know sometimes a child may have more significant difficulties with sleep that are longer term and they're not just, um, you know, linked to later bedtimes during a school holiday. So I would recommend, you know, looking at the information on the sleepcharity.org website because it's got a lot of uh, useful information and includes children with special educational needs. All right, brilliant. And Aaron, what are some of your top tips for encouraging good sleeping habits for your child? Um, I think, well, we can kind of come at this from a couple of different ways. I think we'll we'll talk about the sort of sleep routine and the nighttime routine, but then also mm. considerations for what we could be doing in the day to kind of prepare for sleep as well. And there's, it's not just about the nighttime, but in terms of that nighttime routine, um, as I kind of alluded to earlier, or touched on earlier, that consistency and that routine and, and not giving up if it doesn't work straight away, I think is really important. Obviously, after a long time, if we've not noticed any difference at all, then we might need a different approach. But I think not expecting instant results. And I think that's why the earlier we start, the better. So having a consistent routine, and it might be as we've kind of already touched on, um, you know, the last thing that we do is um, that we read or we read to our child um, at night as that's just part of that routine and almost trying to help them to associate that with relaxation and sleep and anything that can be nice and calm in the evening can help as well. So it might be um, some children, we might kind of experience, uh, experiment with some relaxation techniques with them. So listening to some calming music, doing some deep breathing and just trying to get their brain and their body ready for sleep. Because especially if we do have someone um, with ADHD who might have quite a hyperactive mind, they might need a little bit more um, input to actually help them to relax their mind a little bit as well. Uh, Another thing that I would recommend as part of that kind of nighttime routine as well, we do have um, children who are very anxious and are worrying all the time. This can, of course, keep them awake. Uh, One thing that I always try and get children to practice doing is externalizing those anxieties before they go to bed. So keeping a little journal or a notepad, and if if writing is an issue, then it can be that they can just talk to us and we can do it for them. But writing down those worries before we go to bed, and what we're essentially saying is, it doesn't mean they're gonna go away, but I'm gonna write it down, I'm just gonna park it for now, and it's just gonna be out of my mind for now, and then, we can have a little look and see how we feel in the morning and then a more kind of advanced level of that I suppose is um, with some of the older children I work with I'll get them to write down the worry before they go to bed and score how severe the anxiety is and then in the morning um, look at that and then score how severe it is in the morning and often what they find is that it has reduced in the morning yeah. um, and I think that can also help with just reinforcing that when you're feeling like it's the end of the world in the moment doesn't mean it's always going to feel that way and the more we can practice and learn that the more we'll start to realize that going forwards and so having some sort of kind of diary or journal or something at night time as well I also like to do um with some children like gratification journals um at the old gratitude journals sorry at the end of um, the end of the day so getting into the habit of writing down three things that you're grateful for that day and it could be the smallest little things but something like I'm grateful I mean I do it as an adult and I did on mine this uh, last night I wrote I'm grateful that I had someone to come and collect the bins today and just little things like that things that we might not necessarily be drawing our attention to a lot of the time but we're just forcing ourselves to think about those things just to help with some of that mindfulness because we know if we are struggling with anxiety we can get really drawn into the negatives Mm. and carried away with the negatives sometimes Um, and it doesn't mean that we're not acknowledging them or validating them but we're just trying to force ourselves to kind of think about some of the positive things that are happening as well. Um, and then in terms of the the actual bedroom environment and the sleep environment, obviously it's all dependent on 
space and budgets and everything so there's there's always with that in mind but thinking mm. about that sensory environment for the child as well and they will have different preferences so some children might prefer some sort of light when they go to sleep um, and it might be that we use like a sensory projector that can project some nice calming lights onto the ceiling and onto the walls so it's not kind of too bright that's going to actually disrupt them from sleeping but just something that can help them to feel safe and calm we might listen to white noise or some calming music and a, a lot of these kind of sensory projectors that you can get will play that as part of it as well um, and that can help as well or we might have someone who um, needs kind of complete darkness um, and then maybe blackout curtains and things like that might be an option for them of course all bearing in mind the kind of space and budgets and everything as yeah. well but just something worth mentioning but then also I think during the day as well there's a lot of stuff that we can be doing and um, to sort of preempt good sleeping patterns earlier on in the day as well so thinking about how much exercise are they getting how much time are they spending outside um even if it's you know playing outside going for a walk taking the dog for a walk and increasing it with small steps but how much exercise are we getting because the more we are exercising in the day the more our body is going to be ready to rest at night time as well um, and then thinking about things like sugar intake caffeine intake during the day as well and i think caffeine's one that we often um overlook and we'll we might get kind of um diet um, fizzy drinks so that there's not as much sugar in them but a lot of them have got a lot of caffeine in them as well and I think it's just you have to kind of look to find that out and they, they hide it quite well on the counter yeah. things but I think just bearing that in mind as well and if there is a, a caffeine free option for a drink going for that instead and being aware of the impact that, that that might have too and then to kind of tie it all together keeping a sleep diary I find really really helpful as well and you can find loads of free versions of these online if you if you google sleep diary you'll find loads of different kind of templates to use and there's lots of apps that you can use for it as well if you wanted to do it that way um, but what they will generally have is a kind of a space for you to fill in in the evening and a space for you to fill in in the morning so in the evening you'll kind of talk about how your day was and we might combine it with some of the journal we mentioned before and then in the morning you have to kind of rate the quality of your sleep but also talk about um, you can kind of compare it with the day before so on the day before it will show how much sugar you had that day how much you exercised and it's about trying to spot those patterns then of what can we try and change um, and of course this might not be this is going to be something uh, for a lot of children that we're doing with them but having those conversations with them and trying to draw their attention to well it's almost evidence of well I know you like going on your phone at night but you can clearly see look these nights you didn't and you slept very well and this night you did and you didn't sleep well so this is what's impacting your sleep and just trying to it's a way of trying to draw their attention to that I suppose. Yeah something I found really interesting you've both sort of touched on then is I actually spoke with the sleep charity Wendy because we're, we're doing an event and the sleep charity are going to uh, speak at that and yeah. I started I, I went into all sorts with her and I was talking about how um, and something I found really interesting is that apparently when you're going to sleep, your brain, it, say if you go to sleep with like um, a podcast or an audio book on, when you wake up, your brain automatically looks for that comfort. And that's why if it turns off in the night, you're more likely to wake up because you're actually seeking that comfort. Oh, right. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. When, I, I always think it's like when I always remember when I was a child and like falling asleep in the back of the car and then you're kind of used to the noise of the engine and everything that's going on. And as soon as the engine turns off, you wake up. And I always used to think when I was a child, oh, I just know when I'm home. But I think yeah, it's exactly. more to do with that is that actually yeah. that consistency is there. And as soon as something changes that, yeah, you then yeah. Kind of shift to it. takes you out of it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's made me realize, like think a lot more because I've got a little boy and I thought, 
every time I, something's on when I go to bed, I'm like, I better turn that off because if he wakes up, yeah. I know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so next question is for you, Wendy. So a lot of our parents and carers struggle with the switch from mainstream to an SEN school. So Wendy, at Castlefell School, how do you how are you going to encourage a smooth transition? Well, what I would um, recommend is that, you know, parents start getting as much information about the school as soon as they can and sharing that at home. There's things online um, as the school, once that process is started and we know that a child is coming to us, then we'll have uh, photographs and documents and pictures of people that we can share with children to have at home. And I would recommend, you know, looking at those regularly um, and just just talking about the school positively. Parents will have worries and, you know, we always would want those to be asked and, and talked about. Yeah. Um, I think it's always worth thinking about doing that not in the earshot of the of the child because if they're listening yeah. to our adult worries, they'll, they'll sometimes take those on. And, you know, it's natural to have some worries and we expect parents to, to raise some of those with us so that we can put their mind at rest or discuss them. Um, you know, there's knowing the people to talk to so not only in the school um, and finding out who who are the relevant people to ask certain questions but also knowing that that link in the local authority is still there and you know there's a there'll yeah. be a an SEN officer who's worked on that that child's EHCP um, who will have liaised with the school and and c- continues to support parents through that journey as well as as well as the school yeah Something that's important for children is to think about um, how they're saying goodbyes to the place that they're in and making sure that that's done appropriately, that in a timely way, when is the right time to tell them that they're leaving? Uh, When is their last day? Um, Some children, you know, it can create a lot of anxiety if they're told that too early Um, and it might be better to wait. But, you know, other children need time to process things. So it is better to tell them earlier, make sure that it's marked in some way and if they feel a need to keep contact in some way, then just set up some avenues of how they might still stay in touch with a few friends. Because I think sometimes, especially when a special school isn't in the local area, um, mm. children can easily lose the friends that they've had before. So it's kind of really important for them to try and keep those. Yeah, brilliant. And what is going to be different about Castlefell School in particular, if we think about a child transitioning from a mainstream to an SEN school? So obviously the class sizes and ratios are going to be quite different. We're going to have uh, class sizes of around six at Castle Fell, and each of those classes will have a teacher and a teaching assistant. So where children may be anxious about asking for help or having a lot of anxiety about whether they can complete tasks, I mean, there is you know a, a, a high level of adult support available if that's needed for children. Yeah. We've got a, additional provision that can help um, in terms of things like speech and language needs. Uh, we'll have therapists there, occupational therapists. Um, really, what whatever the EHCP outlines, if we felt we can meet that child's need, then then we will provide that within the school. And I think, you know, the key is understanding that a lot of our children will come with anxieties around school. They may have felt like school hasn't worked that well for them in the past. And we are ready to support them through that journey into becoming more confident learners. 
Yeah, brilliant. And Aaron, so I know we, we've, uh, Wendy just touched on anxiety there, and we've kind of mentioned the journaling and mindfulness, but are there any other ways that we can support our children who are experiencing anxiety around starting a new school or starting back to school? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, there's a few ways of kind of going about it. I think to kind of touch on what Wendy said as well, I think as a parent, um, talking to the school, talking to the new school, expressing concerns, because I think sometimes there's a, there might be a bit of a fear of doing that. And I totally get that. And if you know, if you have, um, as a parent had mm. negative experiences of asking schools for support in the past, um, it might kind of impact this, the conversations that you're having. But I think understanding that um, they are there to help and they are going to do all they can to support that child. So actually expressing those concerns um, can be a really positive step. I know for me, if I when I was teaching, if I ever had um, a new child starting um, the school, I, if someone came and spoke to me about any concerns, I would do absolutely everything yeah. that I could um, to help. And I think it's important that um, we remember that the, I'd say, I'd the vast majority of teachers um, yeah. feel exactly the same, if not all of us feel exactly the same and we are there to help. Um, and I think just kind of being aware of that and not being afraid sometimes to actually express your concerns. And then as Wendy said, maybe not in the kind of um, the earshot of the child and doing that in private as well so that we can um, help to kind of focus on the positives for them too. And I think that's really important is actually trying to discuss the positives of starting a new school and going back to a new school. And it doesn't mean that we're ignoring the things that they're worried about and we can validate those worries and, and talk to them about it and trying to avoid phrases like, um, oh, don't be silly and yeah. things like that, and which can kind of trivialise the worry, saying things like, no, I understand. I understand why you feel that way. You mu it must be quite anxiety-inducing starting a new school. I understand why you feel that way. But also trying to focus on what are the positives of going back to school. So it's a chance for a fresh start. It's a chance um, to meet new people. It's a chance to make new friends. It's a chance, especially if you've had negative experiences in the past. You're going to have um, all of the things that Wendy said. The class is going to be a bit smaller. You're probably going to be have a better relationship with the teacher, all of that sort of stuff. And one thing I like to do with children especially if they're starting a new school is um spend some time with them to visit the school's website and have a little look through just so that they can become familiar with everything and if there's pictures on the school's website of teachers and stuff and and other kids and things going on even better because they can kind of start to familiarize themselves um with with the place as much as possible and it's somewhere that they can go mm -hmm. back to then if they are starting to get carried away with the worries and they start to feel quite anxious again let's just go and have another look and kind of reassure us reassure ourselves that it's going to yeah. be a good thing i think also thinking about their own self-esteem as well and focusing on the positives of especially if they are neurodivergent thinking about the positives of neurodiversity and talking through the strength that they've got and they might be anxious about school because um, they have known that they're a little bit different and that their brain works in a slightly different way. So actually by kind of talking through those positives and actually trying to help them to reframe that and not see themselves in such a negative light can give us a bit more confidence in terms of starting something new, going to a new school. And I think also as well, we were talking earlier about kind of role-playing situations and um, there might be anxiety around meeting new people and making new friends and things like that and I think sometimes a bit of role play or using social stories can help with that a little bit as well for some children Um, I think also if there's the opportunity to and we might not kind of have that network or those connections yet Um, and this is a lot easier said than done and it, it takes a lot to do this but chatting with other parents as well and, and talking to other parents who might be able to reassure you that 
their child started the school um, a couple of years ago and how much they're thriving now and how it was really nerve-wracking at first but looking at all the positives of, of the changes that have come with starting that new school and that can really really help as well and um, I think if possible, and we've kind of touched on this already, any transition days that are kind of supplied, making use of those. If there's any opportunities to visit the school, um, it can really, really help for, for some children to be able to just be in that environment and become familiar with it so it's not too anxiety-inducing on the first day. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I like doing with some of the children that I work with is just externalising some of those worries. So I tend to do this thing, with, particularly with some of the younger children, where we'll get a piece of paper and I'll rip up I'll rip it up into different pieces and we'll write down sort of six or seven things that they're worried about going to the new school and we'll write them all on a separate bit of paper, shuffle them all up and then you pick them out one by one and then we talk it through. So they might pick one out and say, I'm worried that um, I won't know anyone Mm -hmm. there. And then it's just an opportunity to talk it through. So again, validating those concerns, but it gives us the opportunity to talk about what the positives of that are. It's an opportunity for a fresh start and especially if they've had difficulties with friendships in the past and relationships in the past then you know these people don't know you yet we can start again um, and we're not kind of um being held to the maybe challenges we've had in the past and we can have that complete fresh start and then sometimes i like to on the back of that piece of paper we'll write down like a bit of a solution so what are you going to do if you do feel nervous on the day um, and it might be some deep breathing it might be kind of having a little stress ball or something in your pocket to kind of ground yourself it might be having something that if it's negotiated with the school that they can take in a familiar object from home for the first week or something like that. So they've got that connection between home and school, but we'll write down the solution on the back and then I get them to kind of um, scrunch it up and throw it away over their shoulder. And it's just a way of saying, right, we've discussed that now. We don't, I'm going to not going to worry about that for the next couple of minutes and kind of do that with each one. Uh, in terms of another like little tip for in, um, in the school as well. And in class, I, used to teach a young man who um, he started the school um, sort of very late on in year six. It was a mainstream school, but he'd had a lot of challenges in his other schools and he started in like May. So he only had a couple of months before he then had to go and change to go to secondary school again. So he was really anxious um, and stressed about it. And one thing his mum did for him um, was on his jumper. She It was a really simple little thing, but it really helped him. She sprayed a little bit of her perfume on the sleeve of his jumper. Um, and when he came into school, when he was feeling anxious, he just I, I'd always see him kind of holding Aww. it to his nose. And it just really helped him kind of almost be back in that headspace of feeling yeah. calm and be back at home and it reminded him that it won't be long until he's with his mum again and it's only a few hours but little things like that can really help as well and familiar objects or a familiar smell or something like yeah. that um, and I think one thing that I would definitely recommend is for the um, especially the first couple of weeks and when they first start in the new school having something to look forward to maybe at the end of the first day and something that's kind of an aim to go towards and that sense of reward so right you're going to do this first day at school but then we're going to go and have this tea that you like and we're going to go to this place or we're going to go and do this. We're going to go and visit so-and-so because you really like visiting them. But having that sense of reward and something to look forward to and something to aim for so that it just doesn't feel so overwhelming in those moments. And when they are in school and it's all getting a bit on top of them, just those reminders. And it might even be that you write it down or they have a little picture of the thing they're going to be doing later. And it's just to remind themselves that no, this isn't the end of the world. Yeah. I'm going to be doing this thing that I like in a few days. And then the more we can do that over time, it just yeah. gets easier and they won't need those kind of things to look forward to because hopefully they'll just enjoy being in that new school. Yeah. And Wendy, have you got anything to add to that? 
Well, I think um, in, in terms of the wider um, preparation, there's always the travel to think about as well, because often when children do get uh, places in special schools, it can be a bit further from home. There's a taxi that will pick them up. There's quite often we'll share that taxi with other children and have a taxi escort in it. So I guess one of the other things to look at is maybe if you can perhaps do the possible route with the children, um, explain to them that if there is a shared taxi, they won't travel directly there, but they may call to other people's houses to pick those up on the way. When I have children doing their initial visits, that's one of the things we like to do is get them not only to meet children who are already in the class that they're joining, but also to say hello to the children that they'll be in a taxi with, because actually those are the very first children that they will meet. And that's a really different experience. All children have been to school, but not everybody's got a taxi mm. without their parents before. It's quite daunting. Mm. Um, so it's it's good to have a look at that aspect as well and, and think what that will be like. I mean, one of the things I've done in the past for children who are, you know, say they're joining new and it's mid-morning on their first day and I can see that that's all going really well I am mindful of that parent who's sitting at home really worrying about um, how things are going so we do like to kind of give a a late morning call just to confirm to them that they can relax and that things are going well Um, but equally I think it's important for parents to say what works for them because for some parents the phone ringing can be a signal that they'll things are going wrong and they may prefer you not to call so you know always feel free to just say what your own particular preferences are really um and i think you know when when children start coming home initially from school i know that as a parent you you want you're worried that how things have gone and you can be at the door ready to kind of pounce on them with lots of questions as soon as they walk through but i think it's worth remembering that they will be exhausted Um, they've had so much emotional challenge doing something completely new Um, even when it's gone well it will still be very tiring for them so it's about just maybe holding back waiting waiting till the right moment a bit later on when they've they're settled back home they've had something to eat they're feeling relaxed and and making sure that the the questions are positive ones Um, You know, what made you laugh today? Who was the friendliest child in the school? Um, And not questions that kind of bring up our own anxieties about how the day might have been for them. So it's worth just maybe thinking about that in advance and almost planning for it. Um, You know, because we all know children are tired at the end of the day and sometimes they just want to have a little bit of quiet time when they first get home. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that I, I, when I had a podcast with Tracy Bowyer from the NHD Foundation, she was saying it's typical, you know, your child comes home from school and it's, did you have a good day? Yeah. And that's all you would get because it's exactly what you said then about asking the right questions. And Yeah, yeah. yeah. And sometimes I think, you know, I've read when children have gone back to school or gone through to a new school, much as it may have been a great day, it's been challenging for them. Yeah. Um, they do see their parents as the people who sent them. And sometimes they can even kind of come home and be a bit cross with you as their parent because yeah. you are the person who arranged for them to go to that school. And actually they would have loved to have been at home with you all day. Yeah. Um, and it's just about being ready for those feelings and, and, and validating them and knowing that you know it, it's normal to feel like that and yeah. let's let's just talk about it and I can attune to you and say yeah I know that was hard and but you've done so well and like Aaron's saying about having rewards and positive reinforcement for what they've actually managed to do that day yeah brilliant 
And I think that brings us nicely to the end of this podcast. Um, so if there's any parents or carers who are listening who aren't familiar with our resources, we offer a range of podcasts a bit like this one, uh, webinars, support packs and articles to provide top tips and strategies to support your child. So to end our podcast, Wendy and Aaron, are there any other websites or resources available to parents for introducing some back to school routines? I'll start with you, Aaron. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> particularly think about, um, you know, in terms of specifics, thinking about sleep and, and looking at the sleep charity, which we mentioned earlier and lots of great resources there. Um, I'd also recommend some of the uh, free resources that, that we've got on our website. So if you go to um, the ADHD Foundation website and click on the resources tab, there's lots of free stuff on there, including um, lots of stuff around neurodiversity aimed at both parents and children, which cover things like routine and sleep. Yeah. But also going back to the point I mentioned earlier and thinking about the sort of self-esteem and trying to kind of help them to feel more confident mm -hmm. going back into school. They all talk about the kind of strengths and positives of being neurodiverse as well. And it kind of talks them through some of the things that they might be really good at, some really successful people who have ADHD or some really successful people who are autistic. Uh, who are autistic. And I find that that's quite a nice um, starting point for some of those conversations in terms of um, trying to build that confidence and self-esteem. So that would be kind of on the sort of, um, you know, the, the personal level. And then in terms of sort of academic side, um, I'm assuming, Wendy, you might have some, some stuff. So in terms of learning, obviously, there's a lot online. I know we've talked about not going online, but actually, this is this where it does have a good benefit. Um, and I mean, I suggest looking at things like BBC Bite Size and encouraging children to go on activities on there. I think it's worth parents being aware that one of one of the challenges that our pupils will face when they're accessing that kind of material is that they've often missed out on some learning during their previous school experience, and they might be working at an actual earlier academic yeah. level than their actual age so what parents might hear schools talking about is are which stands for age-related expectations mm -hmm. so the idea that if you're in year four you are working at the work that we assume year fours yeah. will be doing so i mean we do know that many children who move into specialist provision have missed lessons and sometimes miss longer periods of school so we don't really expect them to be at that age-related expectation or are um, but it's really important when we're thinking about self-esteem that children don't expect themselves to be at that mm -hmm. as well because it just is going to add to their fears and anxieties if they're they're attempting to do work that is at the moment beyond their reach and we always talk to children about saying this is something that you might not be able to mm -hmm. do yet and that word yet is really important to make them believe that it's it's just a case of giving it yeah. some time and so I always think of it you know we just need to help them to see for example that they're on a, a journey from a starting point to a finishing point in terms of their learning and maybe we explain it to them in a way that means that they've just made some stops along the way so perhaps they are in year six but when they're doing spellings or maths they might be working at the the level of year three children's work but that doesn't mean that they can't yeah. learn it just shows that there's there's been some things that have stopped them learning they can start again they can get back on that journey and they can get to the end de destination um, and I think it's worth bearing that on mind because if they're going online learning, they might want to jump in at year six work if they're yeah. in year six. But they need to know that's 
maybe not where they are and not how learning works. Um, you know, one of the other things I often talk to children about is that growing your brain is a bit like building a wall and you have to build it row by row with the bricks. You can't put the top row on first because it would break, yeah. fall down. So we have to go back and make sure that all the bricks are put in on all the levels. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. People all learn at different rates um, and they're quite capable of building to the top row of the wall. Um, yeah. So, you know, just keep going with it. Yeah, brilliant. I love that analogy. So, yeah, thank you both. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. If you've liked this podcast, you can keep up to date with our latest events, webinars and podcasts by simply heading to our website, withersapgroup.co.uk, head to the advice and support section on the website and events and webinars. So thanks everyone and bye for now.